rudely in a stable shelter, coldly in a manger laid, homeless, weary, sighing, weeping, mocked, insulted, beaten, bound, numbered with the malefactors, torn with nails, and crowned with thorns. These are the words in the song we just sang that describe for us Christ, our Savior, the man who sits on our behalf at the right hand of the Father in heaven and there intercedes for us and prays for us. I'm always stirred and moved by the fact that we have a God who has entered into this world and knows our sufferings and knows our struggles. He's not some distant, cold, unrelatable God. Will you join me now as we come before his throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need? Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers in Christ. You hear them for Christ. That he may be formed in us. That he may be worshipped by us. That he may be glorified in and through us. That we would love him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we would make his name known. His greatness to the ends of this earth. Father, would you hear our prayers this morning as we cry out to you. Father, we pray for those in our church family that are hurting and struggling. We pray for Kimberly Hall's dad. That you would give much grace and strength to his body. Thank you for those caring for him. Give them wisdom. We pray for the Cleveland family and for Calvin. Lord, that you would heal his young body. That you would give discernment to the things that are happening. That you would give encouragement and strength to that family. We pray for the Powell family. For Jamie's mother. We thank you, Lord, that you have been with her as a great physician. We thank you for her love for you. And we pray now, Lord, that you would surround her with a sense of your presence. Lord, comfort and glorify your name in that circumstance. And be with the Powell family. We pray for Lucy Rao as she has a second knee surgery. Lord, grant her a peace that passes all understanding. Would you be present in that procedure? We ask for it to go smoothly and for a quick and a full recovery. Lord, as we enter into this time of year and we hear of joy and peace and uh, things that are true in Christ, we also know, Lord, that they are not yet fully realized in this earth. And we pray for those that face this time of the year with brokenness. Those who are alone. Those who are grieving a loved one not at the table this year. And Father, we pray that uh, as we go through those days of joy with a sorrow, that our longing and our hope for heaven will grow. And that our eyes will be lifted upward. We pray for our church. We pray for the fellowship dinners that you would bring together many over the tables and over the meals. That friendships would be formed 
and those that are would be deepened. Father, we pray for the Bible studies of our men's and women's ministries. We ask that, that as we gather around your word, that you would speak to us, that you would use us in each other's lives to sharpen as iron sharpens iron, that we would find strength and accountability, we would find encouragement and hope and wisdom in one another. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our president. We pray for those in offices of power and influence, Father, that you would give them much grace to lead well. We ask for you to work upon their hearts. We ask that you would turn the heart of our nation back to you. And Father, that you would bring a repentance. We ask that you would start with us, your church. We pray for our missionaries this time of the year as they are away from family. Father, that you would surround them with friends. Encourage them in their work. We pray for Nate Fowler as he and Katie process his time in Gambia and ask for your wisdom to help them. We pray for the campus ministries that we're a part of. We pray for the Spiveys. And we ask that you would provide the necessary funds and, Father, prayer partners for their work here at Liberty and Randolph. And Father, we are grateful for all of the life around us. Uh, we rejoice in so many families amongst us celebrating this Christmas with a new one. And Father, the, the reminder that is uh, of your coming as a babe in a weak and a helpless form, dependent and Father, we stand in awe. We ask that you would open your word to us this morning, that you would speak to us through it, that it would have its intended end, that you would accompany it with your spirit, that we would be not simply hearers of the word, but we would be stirred to be doers, that we would rest in your faithfulness and your word. And Father, that we would obey and walk in the newness of life. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand, our scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Hear now the word of God. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for all those who fear him, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Amen. Will you, sit? you may be seated. 
Let us pray. Father, we do ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see marvelous things about you from your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, this text this morning that we are looking at is commonly called the Magnificat. Coming from the the Latin term, which means my soul magnifies the Lord. The first words of Mary's song. One author described it with these words. He said, this is a totally God-centered song of praise. It's about who He is. It's about what He's done. It is entirely focused on God. And in response for who He is and what He has done, it is a song filled with gratitude. Of thanks for God and His works. It is a song filled with trust. Mary believes God's promises. She sees them unfolding before her very eyes. She praises God and adores Him. That's a beautiful description of the song that that we're going to look at. But I want to set uh, the stage for us a little bit before we dive into it. Mary received the visit from the angel, Gabriel, who told her that she would be with child and that this child would be the son of God, which immediately raised questions for Mary. How? For she was not married and she was a virgin. The angel then also went right on immediately to tell her that not only was Mary going to be a child, but a relative of hers... Elizabeth was also expecting. And Elizabeth was elderly. Elizabeth was old and perhaps beyond the age of having children. And then time sort of passed. We, we sometimes can read the narratives and we can squish all the time together and thing, things happen. But then things sort of went for a time. And you can imagine... Can you imagine the thoughts running through Mary's mind as she pondered these words? This would not come across as a joyful thing, would it? Mary was perhaps around 14, maybe 15 years old. I have a niece, she's 15. If we were to find out this Christmas, the news were to come out that she was pregnant, that would not necessarily be a joyous declaration, a joyous announcement, would it? It would be a difficult one. In Mary's case, it was not only a difficult one, it was a dangerous one. For under the law, she deserved perhaps to be stoned, and it was scandalous. It says in Matthew's Gospel that she was found to be with child, discovered. You could only cover this for so long. And when discovered, Joseph resolved that he was going to put her away quietly. He loved her. And he didn't want to harm her, but he, he resolved that he would just sort of sneak her away somehow. So all the time until that point in the narrative, Mary had been keeping this one to herself. Gabriel then appeared to Joseph. And 
gave him words of encouragement that this was indeed of God and that he should take Mary as his wife. And then it says that Mary made haste to visit Elizabeth. The sense is that that was the solution. The solution was that rather than stay in Nazareth where it would be scandalous, Mary would go to be with Elizabeth, her cousin. And that that would be sort of a temporary solution. And so Mary traveled. We often think of Mary's travel while she was pregnant to go to Bethlehem, the, the arduous journey on a, on a donkey, right, at the end of her pregnancy. But she also made this trip as well and probably made it alone. Can you imagine a pregnant 15-year-old girl traveling alone to go be with a family member to hide a scandalous pregnancy. And so we want to avoid a sanitized version of the Christmas narrative. We want to climb this morning into Mary's shoes and, and feel what Mary felt. Because I think that will make the song that she sang, that we'll look at, all the more meaningful, all the more powerful, all the more unexpected. Those were the circumstances. And it is in these circumstances that Mary is an example of faith for us that celebrates and rejoices in God and His work even when they are mysterious and difficult to discern. The first thing we see in this text is that Mary celebrated and rejoiced in the Word of God. I'm always uh, put to shame by Mary's knowledge of the Scriptures here. Again, she was a 13, 14-year-old girl, Jewish girl, and yet she knew the Word of God. In this song, she quotes from Psalm 103, from Psalm 22, from Psalm 147, from Psalm 98, from Psalm 44, from Psalm 89, from Job 12. She quoted from those. In her young age, she knew the Word of God. She loved the Word of God. And her theology in it was sound. She dwelt on the character of God and focused on who He was. She was not fixated on the Mosaic Law, which was the common error of the day. You may remember that Jesus often had to correct uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, those, those who were steeped in the Word of God, those who were like me, had gone to seminary, and yet had missed the point. They were fixated on the law. But Mary in this song highlights the fact that God was beginning to relate to His people not on the basis of the law, but on the basis of covenant faithfulness. She got something that was missed by many others. We've learned that in the book of Romans, haven't we? We've, we've looked at that recently, that God relates to us not on the basis of the law, but now apart from the law, through a righteousness that comes apart 
of the law through faith. And Mary grasped that. She also understood that God was a God of mercy and compassion. How often did Jesus have to correct people? That they would strain out the gnat. But they would miss the entire point of the law. And they would, they would sort of make God appear to be some uh, unsatisfiable ogre. When really he was a God who was full of mercy and compassion. A God who condescended himself to sinners. And she understood that. And she also understood the plan of redemption that God had. She does a marvelous job of of following the story of God's redemption through the Old Testament. All the way from Abraham through God's people Israel to her and then onward. So she knew Scripture. Her theology was sound. She loved Scripture. She had a knowledge of the Scriptures that would not have simply passed seminary exams, but it would have passed the tests of life. It went beyond just being catechized to having convictions of who God was. J.C. Ryle wrote this about this area. He said, She, Mary, gives expression with her lips to what she treasured in her heart. And what she treasured in her heart was the Word of God, His Holy Scripture. And not only did she know the Scriptures and understand doctrine, not only did she love God's Word, but she obeyed it. It was what she rested upon when her life was turned upside down. She would obey His Word at great cost to herself. Now, we ought not elevate Mary too highly. We don't venerate Mary. We we don't put her up on a pedestal and worship her because in her own song, she acknowledges something critical, and that is that she was a sinner saved by grace. She acknowledges her lowly state and that God is a God of mercy. Mary sings this song and she doesn't say, look at me. She sings this song and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul points to God. My life directs your attention to God. Don't look at me, but look at Him. And so the point of Mary's statements here is not, oh, be like me, be like me, be like Mary, but rather to trust like Mary, to rejoice and to celebrate in the things that Mary does, beginning with the Scriptures. Secondly, she celebrates God's grace. Her world was different than ours, but in some ways it was very similar to ours. And that one of the similarities is that the world has always graded people based on the things that are outward. By the way we look, by the things we have, by the positions we hold, by the degrees and the education and we always seem to grade based on these external things. And Mary highlights here that God does not do that. God looks inwardly at the heart. He looks graciously upon the lowly. And He turns things upon their heads because of His graciousness. God approaches man on the basis of mercy, not on the basis of merit. He comes with grace, not with a grade. 
He offers forgiveness for faith. He exchanges righteousness for rags. He exalts the humble, and He humbles the exalted. And we see in this song a humility in Mary. First of all, she's humble in her worship. If you look at the text, you'll see again and again and again the word He. He, 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 He. It's always about God. There's only several occasions in this song where she uses the, the idea me. And every time there's a me, it always follows a he. This is a song about God. She's not singing about herself. She's magnifying God, making Him glorious. Or I should better say, declaring His glory. For he, she did not make him glorious. God is glorious. She recognizes his glory and shines the spotlight on it and points to it. She was also humble in her witness. She would stand in a unique place in redemptive history, wouldn't she? How easy to become proud. I've been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. How, how easy to turn this in on herself. But she doesn't. She takes the role of a servant in need of a savior. In no sense in this song does Mary view herself as any better than others, but rather she views herself simply as another sinner in need of God's mercy and saving. There's no hint in the song here that she believes in any way, shape, or form that God has chosen her because of something in her, due to her goodness. And then there's a humility in living here. J.C. Ryle, again, he called humility the, the queen of all graces. Listen to some of the things Mary says in this song about God. He regards the humble. In other words, he takes notice of the humble. He notices how many times in the Gospels do we see this, where Jesus notices the unnoticeable person. Where, where Jesus moves and gravitates to the forgotten person in the crowd. Where God, through His Son, reaches out to the least deserving. The one that everybody in the crowd thought there is absolutely no way that, that God would deal with that person. In other words, think of a group of people in your head and pick the least likely person that God would move toward, and that's probably the one God wants to move toward. And that's how Mary saw herself, as, as one lowly that God noticed. And not only does he notice it, he responds to it. He's compassionate. He moves toward it. And then he relieves the oppressed. Mary will speak of the way God lifts that oppression in her life and he reverses that oppression. In fact, he doesn't just relieve it, but he actually exalts the lowly. So Mary celebrated the word. She celebrated God's grace. She celebrated his blessing in her life. Obviously the blessing of redemption, but she also speaks about her being rewarded. She makes a declaration that everyone will call me blessed. 
There was nothing in her circumstances that would have been counted as blessed when she spoke those words. Remember who she was? 15-year-old, pregnant out of wedlock. The scandal of that. And yet she says that God has rewarded her. And that generations will call her blessed. That's a statement of her faith in what God was doing in her life. The fact that God had come to her, that an angel had spoken to her, meant that God had not forgotten her. Again, J.C. Rowell, on this text, he writes, let us remember to rise from our beds every morning with a deep conviction that we are debtors and that every day we have more mercies than we ever deserve. Mary understood that. She had a lot of unanswered questions, right? What was going to happen when she went back to Nazareth? Was she going to be stoned? There were a lot of hard truths still. And yet, even with all those loose ends, and I don't know about you, I don't like loose ends, but even with all of those major loose ends in her life, she was grateful. Why was she so grateful? I think it's because she understood two things, because they're in this psalm. One is, she understood that God was holy. The concept of holiness you're familiar with, uh, many of us are familiar with, I'm sure. The, the word means to be separated apart, right? The idea was that things were made holy when they were separated apart from ordinary usage to extraordinary usage. So things like the utensils in the temple were called holy. They were ordinary utensils then set apart and consecrated for an extraordinary purpose. They were holy, set apart. But when we speak about holiness with God, Mary says, His name is holy. There's nothing ordinary about God. We cannot use that word in the same sense to speak of God. God is not holy because He's ordinary, but then He is set apart for some extraordinary thing. That's not the way it is with God. God simply is holy. And in fact, what happens here with holiness is the opposite of what happens with corruption. With corruption, what happens is something becomes corrupted by contact with something else. This was the way uh, that, that the Jews thought about the world around them and that there were things in the world that were unclean. For example, a dead body was unclean. And if you came into contact with that, the uncleanness of the body was caught by you and you became unclean. There was sort of a transfer of uncleanness. But what Mary understood was that this was the same principle with God, but in the opposite. That the things that came into contact with God became holy. That when God entered into her life, and when, when He came and spoke to her, and, and when He made these promises to her, and when he began to work in her life, and when he formed this child in her womb, she understood that that led to her being holy. Holy is his name. Do we recognize that? 
those of us who know Christ, do, do we recognize that, that when we came to faith in Christ, when we repented of our sins and turned to Christ in faith, and God gave His Spirit who came to dwell in us, that at that moment we become holy because God is holy and He dwells in us. And at that moment, that was why Mary gave thanks to God. Yeah, her life was a mess. And there were a lot of unanswered questions. And there were a lot of things to be afraid about. And there were a lot of things she didn't understand. But she understood this, that when God entered into her life, that changed everything. He is holy. And she she would give thanks. The other reason I think she gave thanks was... Because she recognized that God was also a mighty helper. God was one who came near. That word helper toward the end in verse 54, it means to take a hold of someone according to their need. Uh, I picture this as the word of like when a dad or a mom is standing in the swimming pool and the toddler is on the edge and you're saying, jump, jump. I'll catch you, right? The child's weakness, they don't swim, right? If the person's not there to catch them, jumping is a really bad idea. But we say, jump, I will catch you. I will help you. And and I think Mary gave thanks because even in the midst of her weakness, she understood that she was holy because God was with her and that she was helped. And that God would meet her need. That that God's strength would fill her weakness. That God's mercy would cover over her inadequacies. That God was able. I wonder if she had thought of the words of Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so in summary, Mary was thankful because even though, uh, well, she was thankful, one, because she was changed by the holiness of God, but she was also thankful that God never changed, that he was faithful to help. She celebrated God's blessings. She also celebrated God. This song of Mary's is filled with statements about God. He is mighty. He is holy. He is merciful. He is strong, powerful. He is good and provides. He helps. And yet for Mary, these these weren't just a list of attributes. These weren't just a list of attributes. In the Shorter Catechism, one of the first questions, number four, that we, we learn, and many of, even our children might know this, it says, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchanging, and He's being, wisdom, Power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And, and there can be a tendency for those things just to become a list. Right? To just sort of be a list of things that we say, yeah, God is all-powerful. God is wise. God is good. And it, and it just becomes a list that we know in our heads, but it never really gets down to our hearts. Not so with Mary. Mary not only knew the attributes of God, 
but she could recall instances where those attributes were demonstrated. And that's what she does. She gives four specific ways that God has blessed His people. She says that He has shown strength and He has scattered their enemies. She says that He has brought down the, the mighty and has exalted the lowly. That He has filled and sent away the rich and the self-sufficient empty. And she says that He has helped. And, and, and these weren't just empty statements for her, but she was recalling times when God had done this for His people. An interesting fact here is that these verbs in that section of 50 through 54, these are what we call past perfect verbs. A past perfect verb, uh, my Greek professor used to say, is something that is a completed action in the past that has present application now. Something that has already happened that makes a difference today. In other words, not some stale truth that sits in the Old Testament somewhere and just becomes a, a story we know, but rather a story that shapes the way we live today. That, that brings the God who is those things in the Old Testament and brings that same God into our present circumstances. That's what this tense of this verb is doing. And the reason it does that is given. It says that God in remembrance of His mercy. Because God hasn't changed. Because the God who crossed the Red Sea with His people is the same God that is in the midst of your home with whatever you're going through today. That the, that the God who was with Joseph in, this, in His enslavement and in His betrayal, is the same God who is with you if you're going through that today. That, that the God who came and, and remembered you like He did Ruth, uh, when everyone in the world would have forgotten you, is the same God who, when you going through whatever you're going through today, feels forgotten, remembers you and comes to you. And what Mary's doing is taking the God who has always been these things and brings him right into the midst of her situation. And that's what we struggle to do, isn't it? And yet this phrase, in remembrance of his mercy, is a really unique phrase. We don't have time to look at it, but it's an aorist infinitive passive. Very unusual form of the verb. It simply, it just means God simply remembers. I mean, he doesn't need reminding. He, he is ever mindful of His people and His promises to them. And then lastly, we see that Mary celebrates God's promises. She traces the faithfulness of God's mercy, His hesed love. That word hesed we've seen before, it's a description of God's love. Where the world's love says, I love you because, and there's some reason I love you, hesed love says, because I love you, therefore. Because God loves you, fill in the blank. God's hesed love is never a, I love you because. But because I love you. She goes all the way back to Abraham. Where God showed his hesed love. God loved Abraham, a pagan from Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham wasn't looking for God. 
And God came to Abraham. And God called him and God made promises to him. And God promised to keep those promises to Abraham. And even instituted them in a, in a, in a ritual that demonstrated that God would unilaterally do it because Abraham was unable to do it. And so that God would be faithful to Abraham. Because God loved Abraham, therefore he did all these things. And then she went to Israel and said that, that God from generation to generation kept his promises. She quotes Psalm 98 and Psalm 103. Both Psalms refer to the Hesed love of God. And why did God choose Israel? Listen to these words from Deuteronomy 7. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. You, you were the least of all people. And then catch this. But it is because the Lord loves you. Hesed. Not God loved them because, but because God loved them. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, Abraham. He is in remembrance of his mercy. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant. And then Mary brings us all the way forward to herself. She sees herself in light of the story of God's plan of redemption. She links the child in her womb to the promises that God made to Abraham. And she links the child in her womb to the promises that God will fulfill through his son, the Messiah. You know, most of these things that it talks about, scattering the proud, sending away the rich empty, bringing down the mighty, you know, most of those things happen in the second coming of Christ. Not the first. The baby in the manger didn't accomplish that. The manger in the baby brought redemption to sinners. The king returning in Revelation 19 accomplishes those things. It's an interesting thing about Advent hymns. Many Advent hymns actually look forward to the second coming. In fact, the one we sang earlier did. Where it says, "'Tis our God who gifts and graces on His church is pouring down." Who shall smite in holy vengeance all his foes beneath his throne? That is not the first coming. That is not a, a song sung at the manger scene. That is a song sung at the return of the king. And Mary looked forward to God, filling his promises to do that. So what about us? We ought to also rejoice in God's word. We ought to also rejoice in God's grace. And rejoice in His blessings, to rejoice in His promises, to rejoice in Him and the remembrance of His mercy. Why? Because when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God.
Let us pray. Father, may we have the simplistic faith that Mary had. That takes you at your word. That looks to your faithfulness throughout all of history. That projects that faithfulness then onto whatever we are facing in our present day. And Father, that hangs our hope on it. Looking forward to that day when you will return for your church. And so Father, as we have this time in the next several days to spend together with friends and family, I pray that you would stir our hearts to love you, to trust you, to walk faithfully before you, to give to you the things in our lives that are open-ended, the loose ends, to celebrate even our weaknesses, because in those things, your grace is made perfect. And Father, would you help us to walk in a humble witness before you? We thank you this morning that we can come and can worship you as we continue to exalt your name. Father, we magnify your holy name. Be our helper, we pray. In Christ we ask. Amen.